All right. Good morning, everyone. All 10 of you out there. All right. Now, I'm just messing Facebook Live. We're having some fun. We're more than 10. All right. So, hey, glad that you guys are here. I hope you had a good week. I hope you're enjoying as the weather gets a little bit warmer, although I got to be honest, uh, waking up in the morning is a little cold, you know, because... Um, I'm shutting the heat off. I'm trying to save some money right now. And uh, as my mother would say, it's a coldie in here. So that's how I feel like I'm shivering around and my kids are looking at me like, uh, turn the heat on, Dad. I'm like, no, thank you. All right. So uh, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're glad that you guys have made it to another day to praise the Lord. Uh, one, one of the things that we've been working on last week, we started a new series entitled Grit. And we're going to talk a little bit about how important it is for us to have grit. Um, we have uh, the, the specific word, but we also have an acronym of so, and it's God-honoring, resolve, intentionality, and tenacity. But we're not going to use those words in every one of our sermons throughout this series. Uh, we're just going to allude to them, but we're going to talk about Daniel and how Daniel worked through his life as a young man. I mean, 15, 16, 17 years old. That's where the scholars believe he was a young man, along with the Hebrew boys, committed, resolved, willing to believe God in a foreign land, as we talked about last week. And as we look at chapter, as we did look at chapter one, and we're going into chapter two, most of us would think that after one particular experience like that, we would say, okay, Lord, that's enough. Boy, that was a big challenge, Lord. I don't need any more of those. Make it smooth sailing, you know, and I make it a smooth ride now. And God's like, uh, no, you're not getting it. <laughs> Walking with me is not always smooth, but I got your back. And so with that, chapter 2, we're going to find out real quickly that there was an unexpected moment. And what are we going to do with this unexpected moment? Are we going to be resilient and not resist? Because that's what we want to talk about, about how Daniel was resilient in the unexpected moment, not resisting God. In that unexpected moment, he didn't say, I'm out, Lord. This is enough. I had enough. In each of this, we're going to understand or try to understand what does it mean to be resilient? And what does it mean? And how do we react to the unexpected moment? So I asked the question, what are some good unexpected moments in our lives? Uh, well, I've got a list of them here. Uh, first time that uh, you saw your husband and your wife and you fell in love. Ooh, oh yeah. And you're like there and you're just sitting there saying, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm in love. You know, and you sit there and you see, and I hope the wife would feel that way too. But the husband's always looking at the wife and saying, fell in love. See, that's, that's kind of how I felt when I saw Joya. We're almost 25 years together and, uh, you know, well, we have actually been together for 25, but 25 years of hopefully close to marriage. And... Uh, I still look at her, and I'm still like, woohoo, yeah, yeah, baby. And she's like, cut it out. Okay, but here's the thing. But here's the thing. It's a beautiful thing when you have that unexpected moment, and you're touched by it. Or when you took a test and thought you failed when you actually got an A. You remember that? I'm like, oh, wow, I got an A. I thought barely, barely studied on this one. Woo, all right, I got an A on it. Everyone else is looking at your paper, and you're like, what did you do? I didn't study. So you're unexpected. It's an unexpected moment. Or when your sibling, who doesn't normally say something kind to you, actually says something encouraging, and then you think it's sarcastic, and they're actually honest. And uh, I'm talking about youngers, yeah, but me, sometimes even older, that we don't seem to be encouraged often by our siblings. And here, 
you've been encouraged. Maybe some of you don't have that problem. Um, I did. I had two older brothers. We had some of that problem. Uh, when you're playing competitive sports and you're not known for making a play and then you make the play. Well, uh, I got to be honest. I was uh, helping my daughter uh, coach a softball team. She wanted to play some years ago, my oldest daughter. I said, okay, honey, let's work on some things. We worked on some skills because I love baseball, love everything about it. So I kind of prepared myself saying, nah, I don't think she's really going to do that well. But you know what? We're just going to go and we're going we're gonna to knock this thing out. So I encouraged her. There was one game and she was in left field. And I'm like, please, Lord, please, Lord, let's don't let anything get by her. Please, Lord, let her catch it. If it comes to her, don't let her drop it. Like I'm just praying while I'm there coaching. And here there was a line drive that came to Maria and she backhanded it picked it up, and threw it to second for a double play. I was like, whoa, and I'm jumping up and down, getting all excited. I'm like, whoa, and she was like, yeah, Dad, I didn't even know that was going to happen. It was a reaction, and she did it, but it was an unexpected moment for me. I was so excited to see that my daughter was able to do that. Or when you get an award, you won an award, and you didn't expect it. That's an unexpected thing. Or when you sold all your baby toys and stuff, and then your wife says, I'm pregnant. That's an unexpected moment. <laughs> that happened to us, by the way. Um, uh, I got to tell you, that was really, I was like uh, crying, and I wasn't crying for joy, and I had like three tests. I'm like, sure, honey, are you sure? And she said, yeah, I am. But what are some of those that are not? What are some that are not so good, unexpected moments? Let's get serious here just a minute. Uh, you have a person almost cut you off in traffic, and you're like, and you start saying the words that you shouldn't say, or your child vomits in the car while you're on your way to school, work, or church, or just driving, and they just vomit. That's just awful. It's a smell. It's not just a mess. It's a smell. Or you forgot your report at work, or you lose a deal, or possibly your job. Or you get laid off from work. You just get laid off. Or your elderly parent falls and breaks a hip. That's just one of the worst things you, you never want to get that unexpected call, unexpected moment that happens. Or you find out that a friend or family member received a diagnosis for cancer. Or a person close to you tragically dies. Some of these that happen, it, they're unexpected. And we have to determine how we're going to deal with those unexpected moments. Are we going to be resilient? Or are we going to resist? See, when we're resilient, we'll see hopefully in the life of Daniel that he recognized that God is in control in everything that was happening at the unexpected moment. But we might see that when we don't like what happens, we start to resist. When we can't control something, we don't like what's happening, we can't put our hand on it, and we can't control it. We take our hand off and saying, I don't want to deal with that. I'm resisting that situation. Instead of dealing with it in a resilient manner. So we back off a little bit. And I think we're going to look at Daniel. We're also going to look at Nebuchadnezzar. Because we want to see how he handled his situation. As we are going to see, there was an unexpected moment from chapter 1 to chapter 2. And as we look, we have to realize that most of all, that he was resolved. Daniel was resolved. But there was a so-called, an affectionate name that we know in the scripture as Nebuchadnezzar, a king of all kings on earth. He claimed the most tyrant king of that time, the most powerful king in a foreign culture that took over Israel and deportation that happened three times in 605, 597, and 586. 
and they were just hauling people out of Israel into a foreign land. And Daniel happened to be the one that God had to identify for us to read in the scriptures that we could see his character and how we can learn from him because he was a man who truly was connected with God. And he was a man of resolve and resilience, but a young man, 15, 16, 17 years old, not even legally an adult, but yet still willing to be dedicated to God. So let's look at the passage here in Daniel chapter 2. Let's just look at it together as we read in the first part of chapter 2. It says, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled. Let me stop there a second because, see, if there's anything we, we know we can't control is when we go down to put our head down to sleep. We don't know if we're going to wake up the next day. We don't know. It's not guaranteed, right? There are people who we've just heard recently that people have died in their sleep. We don't know. We pray that God would allow us to wake up, although it would be better to be woken up in his presence, but to wake up here on earth so we can see our loved ones, but it's not a guarantee. So it's not something you, you and I can control, and neither can Nebuchadnezzar. So he had a dream, and you and I know that when we have a dream, we can't control. You know when you're in a dream, you're like, Aah! and you think you're falling to your death, and you're like, am I dreaming, or is this really true? How many of you have those kind of dreams? I mean, I know. Come on, raise your hands. I know I do. And you think you're going to die, and you're like, you someone pulled out a gun and shot, and you're like, oh, it went right through me. Because you realize it was a dream. But he couldn't control it, and neither can we. And here he was troubled. Because as the king, he couldn't control something. And it says, and his, slept, his sleep left him. So he was going through the night in insomnia. How often do we not sleep at night because... We think about things we want to control, but we can't control, and we think about ways in which we can control. <laughs> I mean, all the time we sit there mentally writing out notes. Sometimes we'll get up and we'll write something out. And it might be a good exercise, but when we find out after we wrote a whole journal, we realize we still can't control the situation. And it's so tiring because here Nebuchadnezzar was going through that. He is the king of Babylon who, when he says something, people run to meet his need. And here he could not control it. And so then it says in verse 2, the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. So what was happening was that customarily when the king had a dream, he would share it. And then the magicians, the sorcerers, the astrologers, the enchanters, they'd all get together as a wise court and manipulate the story a little bit and saying, well, king, you know, you feel this way and this is what this means and that way. But they really didn't know. And so here he was saying, I'm not going to tell you my dream. He didn't want to tell them. So God allowed that to happen. In fact, I believe God was all behind that. And here he wouldn't say it. He was very stubborn. He was stiff-necked and just pushing hard to say, no, I will not tell you my dream. And then we see in verse 10, how did they react? Because we know that after he says, I'm going to dismember your bodies and you're going to lose your homes, if you don't give me the interpretation of this dream. Well, they realized they were in trouble. Because in verse 10, it says, The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Aren't you the ones who you call yourself enchanters, magicians, sorcerers? Don't you have direct connection to the spirit world? Can't you come up with that information? How dare you tell me? King is sinner. He's a smart man. You're not going to manipulate me and buy more time. 
You should know this. And they're buying time. And now they've come to realize they can't do it. And they said, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. Well, this is what you do. This is your profession. You should be able to do this. Can you imagine hiring? You have a water problem at home, and you hire a plumber, and the plumber gets there and goes, uh, I don't know what to do. This is too difficult for us. Can you imagine if you had to call an electrician, and you have a problem with your wiring, and there's something going on with the panel box, and you're like, mm, I don't know. But this is what you do. What do you mean? I'm just paying you $150. You're going to tell me you don't know what you're doing? And here was the magicians trying to convince the king that he did not know. They did not know what he was talking about. Even in verse 11, he goes on. And he says this. He says, the thing that the king is asking is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods. Whose dwelling is not with flesh. But that doesn't chime. It doesn't work. And so what had happened was he saw what was happening. He got very angry. Verse 12, it says this, because of this king was was very angry, was angry and very furious. In the Hebrew, Hendeas is bringing two words into one meaning, like very furious is like super angry. Like angry and very furious is like saying, wow, he was beyond himself. He was losing control. Here was the king who commands anything he wants at any time, places a decree if he wants to, gets anybody to do what he wants to do, but he couldn't control people to tell him his dream. He couldn't do it. He tried to manipulate these guys, his wise court, and they couldn't do it because they weren't capable of doing it. How often can you realize the irony that's here? Because you wouldn't think a king would lose his mind, but he's losing his marbles in his mind. So then verse 13, it says, so he went out to decree. He went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill him, kill them. In fact, see, Daniel and the Hebrew boys weren't in this court when they were trying to figure out how in the world are we going to tell the king his dream when we don't even know what his dream is. So Daniel, they're, they're seeking out Daniel. Now, Daniel already did something nice for them. He reached out. He was resolved. Remember in chapter 1, he changed the diet. He trusted God. He spoke to Ashpenaz. And everything worked out, and within 10 days, they look better than the others. And then now they change the diet, and they say, hey, let's take on the Hebrew boy's diet, because now everyone looks fantastic. But they said, you know what? Done with Daniel. You know what? Get him too. Kill them all. What a, I mean, this guy had no wisdom. He was just furious, angry, reactive. He's saying, kill them all. Now, what wisdom would there be to kill all these wise men? I mean, if you have another dream, you're really in, in trouble. It's like a plumber coming and saying, I don't need your help. I'll figure it out myself. It's like the electrician coming. I'll figure it out for myself. No, you don't kill them and saying, be done. I'm, I'm done with you. This is what was happening. He had no wisdom. He didn't know what he was doing. How often do we need God and his wisdom? Here was Daniel, an outsider, wasn't even in the court. The wise man. He was an outsider, came from another country, was oppressed, a servant, couldn't speak up, but he did. Shouldn't have been speaking up, but he did. He was an outsider. How often do we in our culture, we feel like outsiders and we want to be an insider with the world. 
We try to become part of this world because we want to be on the inside track. You know, inside trader, you know, gain profits for money. We try to get on the inside track to figure out so we can get more money. And some of us want to get on the inside with the gossip and the celebrities and all of that. We want to be on the social media so we can get on the inside. But do we ever think that maybe God wants to influence us by being on his inside track? Wouldn't it be cool to understand that God, we may be an outsider but God is always calling us to be that insider. In our present culture, you may feel like an outsider. But with God, you're always an insider. And having that influence, God can use you and I in the midst of a world that is foreign to us. Why won't we go out there and say, God, use me? Why won't we have the courage or the conviction? I think sometimes it's because we we're going on the wrong inside track and we already have an inside option with God. And I think we're afraid sometimes that if we're not inside with the world, we won't be able to reach them. You know, I think that which fears us the most controls us the most. See, that which you fear, that's which all of us fear. The most controls us the most. Did you ever think of that? If you are afraid to talk to your friends about Jesus, I'm afraid. If we're afraid, it's going to control us. It's going to control every statement we make around them. Or are we going to say, God, use me. I'm available. Help me speak up. Give me the courage to speak up. Give me the resilience not to resist the opportunity to share. That's where Daniel was. He was a man of great resilience. And today I just want to share with you what does it look like to have a resilient heart like Daniel. But Daniel, it wasn't in him. It was God who gave him opportunities. And I want us to just look at that for a second. So number one, we want to see that, first of all, you want to have courage. Courage to face your crisis without losing control. Courage to face your crisis without losing control. As I said earlier, here was the king losing control because he couldn't control the court from telling him his dream. So he got very angry. And when we get angry, it's because we lose control. We're afraid that we can't be in control. And here was Daniel, a servant, oppressed, shouldn't have been speaking with anyone, shouldn't have been speaking to any of the officials. And here he had the courage to face the crisis in front of him. What was this crisis? And he didn't lose. He was really cool about it. Because look at verse 14. I mean, it's really clear when it says, then Daniel replied. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Meaning he put out a decree, he said, kill them all. <laughs> Daniel saying, they want to kill us too. And Daniel was faced with a crisis. He could have lost control. He could have resisted saying, I'm done, Lord. You called me here to die. Okay, we're going to die. We're going to die one day. Here we go. We're going to die now. No. See, with Daniel, it, 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 it's similar to chapter 1, verse 8. It says it's a but Daniel time. <laughs> it's like but God, but but Daniel. Because here, the word then in the Hebrew is a narrative change. When you see now or then, the two words, you see a narrative change. You see the episode changing. And here, Daniel, it's changing. Daniel comes into the scene. And it says, then Daniel replied. Now, you would think, okay, that word replied. He just answered. No, the word actually in the Hebrew means restore. So here God 
is using Daniel to restore the situation. He's using him to take care of this situation because the king was losing his mind and was about to kill everyone. God brought him in as a liaison, as an instrument, as an available, willing instrument to say, here, God, use me in this moment. He was resilient. He was tough. He was resolved. He said, God, I can go before the king and speak, but, Lord, I need to hear and know what you would have me to do. So he starts, and he speaks to an official, which he shouldn't have. He shouldn't have had any opportunity to do that, but he did because he believed God. He had the inside track with God. He was going to be used of God and said, God, you can use me even though I'm an outsider in this land. And he was. He was willing to do that. See, that's what a resilient heart is about. Because when God gives us courage, we can have courage with anyone else. See, I really think it comes down to this. If we can approach God and be vulnerable and transparent, we can approach anyone, especially a man like Nebuchadnezzar, and be vulnerable and transparent. When we are approaching ourselves before Almighty God, do we understand that he's Yahweh God? He's the God of all gods, the God of heaven, the King of all kings. And when we approach him, we have the inside track, and God is saying, here it is. I want to use you. Never think. Don't be afraid. Never question yourself saying, I'm not good enough. God, how could you use me? All of us think that. We, every day I wake up saying, God, why are you using me? I am just not good enough. And God's like, that's why I'm using you. You're in the right place. Continue to believe that. Humble yourself, son. Obey me, and then I'll use you. That's what Daniel was. He was an obedient servant of God, willing to be used no matter what. He had the courage to be able to do that. He was prudent, prudent counsel. The word means tact, meaning he was, it, was a, it means to be appropriate or suitable. I love what a commentary says here. It says, the ability to keep calm under severe shock and pressure, to think quickly and exercise faith in a moment of crisis. These are aspects of prudence and discretion seen in Daniel here. So what does it mean to be resilient? It simply means to be tough, strong, hardy. I mean, it means to kind of be flexible, compressed. It says being compressed. It's like a shoe with resilient cushion to be able to hold up our weight, to be flexible with this big weight, you know? And it's like just moving around so the cushion can support our feet. That's what it means to be resilient. And see, the king, he could have commanded anyone to do anything. Could have just said, you know what? Thanks, Daniel, but you're going to die. Not interested in listening to you anymore, pal. Thanks for the help last, last time with the diet, but uh, I'm done. I'm done with all you guys. No, because as we see, he finds his confidence in the Lord. That's what a resilient heart does. A resilient heart finds confidence, confidence in the Lord's ability to resolve the circumstance. Here he was. He was there. In verse 15, we see it very clearly. Because he declared to Arioch, which is the king's captain and the executioner, the king of all the executioners, why is this decree of the king so urgent? Very calmly. Why is it so urgent? Why is the king losing his marbles? Why is he getting all upset? What's the big deal? And he goes on. Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. So here he was, God doing it again. Remember chapter 1, God gave, God gave, God gave. Here God gave him another opportunity, favor, compassion, for Arioch to even talk to Daniel. Daniel had no right to confront him. Daniel had no right to talk to him. But he had confidence because, remember what I said, he approaches God, he can, can approach any man with vulnerability and transparency. 
So he's honestly asking the question, why is this so urgent? And then in verse 16, it's very clear. Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. See, it's quite clear that God, Daniel knew God had appointed him to a foreign land for a divine purpose. He believed it. See, the word appoint means something different than just setting up a time. It's not like an appointment. Actually, the Hebrew word means a period of grace. A period of grace. So here, God was given Daniel covenant grace, covenant love. He said, I got your back. I will protect you. I will bring glory and honor to myself. Here you are. Just be available. Be used of me. Here I am. And Daniel had that credibility to go before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was willing to welcome him in. And he had that credibility. And I'll tell you, when God posts something, he tags us. When he posts something, he tags and he's saying, I'm posting something, son. I got you, Daniel. I've appointed it. Already, I'm already in front of you. I've appointed you a period of grace. I got you, and I'm tagging you along, and you're coming with me, and I'm going to make sure this king knows who the true king of kings is. He's going to know because I am the sovereign God, the God of Israel, the God of heaven. I'm the one who, time, who changes times and seasons. I'm the one who points kings and takes kings down. I'm the one because he's about to share this dream, and this dream is about a statue and all these different kings throughout the centuries that are going to happen, but at the end, we're going to see that God still stands and his kingdom stands. That's who is serving this God, and Daniel knew it, and Daniel knew that he was being used of God for a purpose. Proverbs 16, 14 says, a king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. Wow. Daniel was a wise, prudent man, cool and collective, not losing his marbles, Resilient, tough, strong, willing to believe God for the impossible. How many of us, when an unexpected moment comes, we resist, we melt, we fall apart, we don't know what to do next? This is why we have to understand God has called us for a purpose. He's called us to be resilient. He's called us to stand up, not take a seat, but take a stand. Taking a seat is resistance. Because we can't control things. God's saying, take a stand. Because if we can't figure out what's in front of us and we can't control it, that's okay. God's in control. He knows what he's doing. He's ahead of us. He knows the struggle. See, God is not a God. When you follow him, when you seek him, you chase him, it's not smooth roads. But he makes the roads smooth, right? He sets the paths and he makes them straight. And he makes them smooth for us. But they don't look smooth until he gets in front of us and he sets them up. So we not look at the potholes we don't look like the roads are just needing some more tar, needed to be worked on. You have to remove it and get new tar. No, let God take care of that. What we need to do is keep walking down that road and let him lead us. That's what he's called us to. When we see of a situation or hear a situation, we shouldn't be troubled. We shouldn't fear. We shouldn't have it consume us. We shouldn't be sitting there with insomnia. We should say, God, I lay this before your throne. You are the God of heaven. I lay it before your throne. Because that's what Daniel's doing. That's what he's doing here. As you see, number three is what we're saying is that a resilient heart requires commitment to the call no matter what. That's what he's doing. He's committed no matter what. He wasn't resisting. He wasn't running away. He said, I'm resilient. I'm going to hang in there. 17, he says, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hanani, Michelle, and Azariah, his companions. 
and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. It's unknown. They don't know how God's going to do it, but they know God's going to come through. How many times we see situations in our lives, we don't know how God's going to do it, but he promises to be faithful then, he'll be faithful now. He will continue to be faithful to his name, faithful to his covenant, faithful to his word, because we're not to be about this world, we're, be a, we're about to be about the world, a word. And the word of God is what we need to get through this world. And so it's important for us to understand, God has taken us through the very difficult moments in our lives to bring glory and honor to himself. But he's called us to be committed, to call on the God of heaven. And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. See, Daniel spent all night long praying, saying, guys, we've got to look to the throne of God, to eternal sanctuary, to the God of heaven. We need to look to his throne, ask for mercy, ask for grace, but we know he's going to come through. He's called us here for a purpose. He has appointed us here for a purpose. So let's see God, and let's see him do it. But we need to look to him, and he does, and he get through it. God of heaven is specific identification of Yahweh, specific of his abode, specific of his uniqueness than any other God that they would call on, especially in Babylon, specific in his loyal covenant of his grace, of his mercy, and his hope, specific through Christ, the covenant that we have in Christ today, all for his glory, even in Verses ahead in 44, it says this, it is the God of heaven that will destroy the other kingdom, earthly kingdoms. Beginning with Nebuchadnezzar, God uses his enemy and destroys him as the enemy. That's not part of the scripture. That's something I added. That's sovereignty. God uses him as a servant and then destroys him as an enemy because he can do that because he's God. That's the God of heaven. That's whom we serve. That's who has our back. That's who takes care of us. That's the one that's mentioned when he praised him in verses 20 through 23. He said he sets up kings and he removes them. He's sovereign. He's in control. We need to be committed to that. That's what God's called us to. It's important for us to realize that through an unexpected moment, the Lord prepared Daniel to be a resilient man with a resilient heart. That's what God wants to use in our lives, whatever the unexpected moment is, as I shared earlier. The toughness of receiving the news that a loved one has died without knowing. The toughness of hearing that someone has cancer. The toughness of just knowing that you, you and I, we can't control those situations or marriage has fallen and broken. We have so many marriages in our church that are struggling. So many that myself, Pastor Dennis, and our entire pastoral team has to pray for and work with and minister to. But we're not going to give up. We're going to be resilient. We're going to believe God to get through these marriages. We're going to believe God to heal and restore these marriages. We're not removing anyone. We're not asking anyone to leave. We're asking God to do a work. We want God to restore families and marriages so that when we are restored, we can show the world the same thing. That's what God's calling us to. Because resilience will come through very tough, difficult times. You and I need to be built in character. Like Ford Tough, you know what they go, Ford Tough. You know what the trucks? Well, we can be tough, but we have to be tough and strong when we go through trials and difficulties because it's the grit that we need so desperately to get through our struggles. This week was a very emotional, very mental week for me. 
And I, there was times this week I just wanted to give up. I was like, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I don't have another mental thought in my head. And I'm just crying out to God, please. God, I need you now. I need some grit. It was this sermon series that really helped me to get through the week saying, God, I need grit right now. God, I'm calling on you in the name of Jesus. Please, Lord, give me this grit. And all of a sudden, in the next moment, things were changing. God was starting to give me energy. I was excited. Because in our walk with God, we need that. We need to ask God to get us through these times. That's when he prepares us the most. Because when he does, then we'll have the courage to stand before the king, just like Daniel did. And when he did, he said, it is not I who gives you the interpretation, but God and God alone. Just like Joseph did. He did the same. What was the result? Well, we look in verse 46 through 49, and I want to read this to you. It says this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. He fell to the ground. This so-called king, this tyrant king, the one who could speak and have anyone put to death at any moment in time, he realized that when God stepped in through, his son, through Daniel, then all of a sudden now he realized his dream was interpreted. His dream could be shown and seen and revealed. And now he falls down on the ground in worship because the only person who would, always, who would never ever say get up when someone stood before another person, when they fell to the ground, was Jesus. Jesus never said, get up, don't bow before me. When Peter, when people bowed before Peter, Peter said, get up, I'm just a man. But Jesus never said, get up, I'm just a man. I'm the God man. <laughs> I am God. And here, King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face before Almighty God, the God of heaven, and paid homage and worshipped him. The word homage means worship. He paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering, an incense, be offered up to God through Daniel. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. What, what influence, what impact, resilient, re resolved heart, willing to be used, committed for the call, convinced with courage, and then the king gave Daniel. Here he goes. Now he went, gave, gave, gave. Now Daniel, now God gave Daniel something, and now the king is giving Daniel something. Daniel's getting a lot of good stuff here. Daniel, he, he, king gives Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon and chief perfect over the whole, all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the providence of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. That's influence. That's impact. There's a story I want to share with you. I talked to a buddy of mine last night, another friend, and um, I wanted to check with him because something happened four years ago, and I wanted to confirm with him the story. Four years ago, in 2017 of February, um, just before I went into another ministry, I had just finished, I'd finished my book. I was going to be putting together a a. a party together just to launch my book and was sitting around watching TV and the Lord said, call Lee. I said, okay, call Lee. The Holy Spirit said, call Lee. I said, okay, okay, okay. Call Lee. Okay, now you're really telling me, Lord, are you telling me to call Lee? He's like, yes, call Lee. So I would call him occasionally, but not as often. We would get on the phone and spend an hour on the phone because we would catch up. So I call him. I said, hey, Lee, what's going on, man? He was doing okay, and we started doing some small talk. I said, hey, bro, i got to be honest with you. The Holy Spirit told me to give you a call. What's going on? And he just sat there, and I, on the phone, he was just kind of pausing. 
He said, um, I'm going through a really tough time. He said, I'm contemplating of just ending it all. I said, what are you talking about? He's like, dude, you've been strong through that. He goes, I, you know my marriage has been tough, and I'm just going through some things. But I've been dealing with addiction for the last four years. I said, what? He goes, yeah, dude. I said, bro, you never brought it up. He goes, well, you know, I'm hiding it. I said, dude, man, you hide it well. How, what, what's going on? And he shared what he was doing. I said, I didn't know, man. So we sat on the phone for two and a half hours. He said, at that point, he said, I'm going to stop. I'm done, Bruno. This is confirmation from God that I need to stop. He goes, your phone call was truly from God. I didn't know. I just, the Lord told me to call him. That's all I knew. And he said last night, from that point on, he has been drawing closer and closer to God. God has been unfolding areas in his life that he needed to deal with. He's been studying the word consistently since that night for four years. He was so moved, he came up from Dallas to come to my book launch and hang out with me for four or five days. It was an awesome time with my buddy. I keep bugging him, come on, man, come right back up. We have a lot of fun together. We did a lot of work together in Dallas. But he loves the Lord. He's a minister of the gospel. He went to Bible college. But he lost his way for a little bit. And he's walking there. He got divorced, but he's still walking with the Lord. He's passionate. We had a great talk again last night. He's one of the guys I love talking to, especially when it gets deep. But it was an unexpected moment that ultimately turned into a God moment. It turned into a God moment. God wants to take these unexpected moments and turn them into God moments. All I was was just sitting there watching TV and the Holy Spirit said, call Lee. That's all I did. I didn't do anything more. Daniel, I know this may, each one of us are servants of the Most High God. So is Daniel. The difference sometimes with Daniel and us, he was available and willing to be used of God. Sometimes we are and sometimes we're not. But when we are, and you know, you see some of those moments in your life, when you are, when I am, we see God at work. I didn't do anything but just say, okay, I'll call Lee. And the rest, the Lord's been taken care of. All I've been trying to do is minister to him as he ministers to me. Those are God moments but they're unexpected, and I love when God does that. But it takes resilience. We have to keep fighting through our marriages, fighting through our relationships with our siblings, fighting through our relationships with our family, through our friends, through the people at work, through people in our neighborhood. We've got to be resilient in our character. We've got to be available. We've got to be willing to be used of God because even in the most difficult moments, especially the unexpected moments, are the times when we have to be resilient and flexible and pliable to be able to be used of God in a cool way. That's where grit comes in. We need grit. It's always God-honoring. It's resolving our hearts with conviction. It's intentionality. It's tenacity. I just pray that God would use us. I want to see God do a great work in our church. I want to see God restore marriages. I want to see God restore hearts. I want to see these chairs filled up again. I want us to see people really desires to go out there and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We here at Grace will do that. We are resilient, we're resolved, and we're committed to do whatever 
necessary. I can speak on behalf of the pastoral team because they, they are for that. <laughs> we're meeting this afternoon, and we're going to be praying, and we're going to be working hard because we want to see God do a work. He's appointed us here for a purpose, and we want to be used of him for his glory, his honor, and his praise. So let's pray and ask God to do that today. Let's pray. Father, I ask that we would desire to respond to you in those unexpected moments, to have a resilient heart like Daniel, to be a, a person who's just dare to be Daniel, to be willing to be used of you, Lord, no matter what faces us, no matter what crisis comes our way, that we'll have the courage to face the crisis without losing control, that we'll have confidence in the Lord, that you'll resolve the circumstance, Lord, to be committed no matter what to the cause, which is gospel-centered, Christocentric work here to see people come to faith in Christ. God, we can't do this alone. The pastoral team cannot do it alone. The staff cannot do it alone. We as leaders in this church cannot do it alone. Father, we need everybody in, resilient, focused, really being used. And I think the greatest way is when we are dedicated fathers and mothers in our homes, dedicated workers at our jobs, dedicated neighbors in our neighborhood, that we would say, God, use me as a resilient person to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that just like Daniel and the Hebrew boys cried out to you, to you, Lord, to your eternal sanctuary, that you would come through and reveal that interpretation. I pray that we would look to you, that you would use us in our context, in a foreign land, to be used of you because you've appointed us, you've anointed us, you've called us for a purpose here. You've bought us with a price through your son Jesus, and we are bearing the name of Christ, and we are called to get out into the world and share Christ. For our teenagers too as well, Lord, they can reach their own. I can't reach them, but they can. Parents can't reach their kids the way, their kids' friends the way they can. So, Lord, all of us, use us, give us an excitement for you. Give us passion for you today. May we would have true resilience and not resistance in our hearts today. Lord, we love you. We surrender our hearts to you. And we pray that we would advance your kingdom through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.